0: Lee, you are the queen of that Baldwin organ. And there's a lot of people that keep writing me and saying how much they enjoy to hear you play. And I for sure do too. And hello out there, everyone. We are here again. And we are involved in a story. A story that needs to be told. And here's why it needs to be told. Because this thing about Egypt and about the Exodus has been challenged by the Egyptologists, by the, uh, the people who are the archeologists, and the people in general that have various positions uh, even with religious idi- idioms. And they are saying that there never was a Moses, that there never was uh, a, a flight, into the wilderness uh, by, you know, thousands and thousands of people. And those things are just all mythology. And basically they're saying that, you know, the Bible isn't about real things. It's about stories that are metaphors. Well, we do know there are some metaphors that are used in the Bible. Metaphors are a little bit like parables. But we also know that there is history in the Bible, there is science in the Bible, and there are stories that are true in the Bible. And I have a mission, and that mission is why I'm here on earth. And it's a commission. It's a commission to prove how great the Bible is and how true it is once it is understood as to what it is actually saying. And that is about restoration and about revelation on three levels. The 30-fold revelation, the 60-fold revelation, and the 100-fold revelation. And ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening to this message, and you know people that should be listening to this message, Get very serious about it because this is like a lawyer lawyer defense of the Bible. And there will be some people out there say the Bible don't need to be defended. You know, you just go ahead and believe whatever you want to believe and let me believe what I want to believe because I know what the Bible itself is saying about the Bible being defended, of any person that requires of the hope within you. And if the Bible doesn't involve that hope that is within you, then you are on the wrong idiom of thought, because it certainly does. And we are to be able to prove these things, and it's the will of God. And that's why you need to listen very attentively and very carefully and study to show yourself approved a person that needs not to be ashamed of the gospel because this message is about the power of the Bible the reality of the Bible and the truth of the stories. There was a fairly great mathematician a German mathematician that goes way back in the time of Einstein he was probably very close to being equally um, brilliant, as was Einstein. He was definitely a better mathematician. And he sought to discover what was called symmetry, to tie gravity in so that that the four forces could have a unification. And he had some ideas about how it could be done that had... Quite a beautiful way of presentation and then there is this poem that was written that was almost like a dream that he could have had and it was about this person who had, had spent his life searching and trying to, to find beauty in life and to present that, that beauty. And then this man was had died and was lying in state, so to speak. And someone else died and was being prepared in the adjacent room. And the spirit of this person that had died for beauty noted that this other person died for truth. And when he discovered that, he thought, oh my, my cause of living and dying just isn't nearly as important as living and dying for truth. So you might think about that. There are so many things that you get into the adjectives of and the verbs of and the influences of and the practices of and the concepts of but sometimes when you boil things down to the finite and we know just from teachings of science and the Bible that the whole universe the whole universe and everything that it is can be crushed down into a density so small that it is smaller than an atom as small and smaller than a lot of s- subatomic particles, and yet it has the potentiation to be a whole universe. Sometimes, when we are looking at things that are are small and almost invisible, and very relative to that mathematical figure zero, we can just pass them over as not having any, uh, you know, anything that is concentrated uh, in the line of our own concepts or consequential as to the line of our own concepts. But we must never throw away the stone that is warm to touch because there is in life many things that we do not see or do not know and have not tasted that just wait for the moment of enlightenment so that we can be changed, changed from the creature that we are. So, I want to talk about so many things today. And I'm excited to be talking about them because I have knowledge and I have revelation that is not common out there on the frontiers of religiosity. I have a a lawyer's forensic file system that on every aspect of every turn, of every angle, of every degree, has ready forensic information to defend the word of God, of which Jesus said, a man cannot live by bread alone, but must live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now, We've been talking about the escape, the escape from from Egypt, and we know that there are many other escapes that we'll want to be talking about. And we discovered here some very interesting things about the relevance of Revelation. We read to you, I think it was last week, Revelations 11, 7 through 12, about, and their dead bodies lie in the street of the great city, spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And people read that and they say, what's going on here? Jesus wasn't crucified in Sodom or Egypt, but actually the Bible says that Jesus was was crucified before the foundations of the world. And there is something to be understood that, that, that actions that take place are sometimes imbued in actions that have happened in the past. And actions that are going to take place are imbued in the present actions that are being affected by those actions that haven't even happened. So that both that which is past affects that which is, and both that which is to come affects that which is. So that in Genesis 2, even things that had not yet been planted existed in a state of mental, imaginative, and virtual creativity And all that they needed was that spoken moment of spontaneity. Because everything else about their reality was ready to be put into that instantaneous moment of happening. Well, it's very important that we understand this because we're going to get into a very important part. And when we realize that something like the great city Jerusalem is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt where our Lord was crucified, we begin to realize that we really need to know the Bible because if we don't really know the Bible and don't really understand the 30, 60, 100 fold, then that language is going to be a glass darkly. And as we look through that glass darkly, then we know that we are not really knowing the full extent of the truth and the full extent of reality. And the Bible says that which was is that which is now, and that which is now is that which is uh, going to be in the future. So there is a cycle of reality. And we have to know what that is in order to really predict and understand the certainty of everything that is to happen now we have talked about this escape and we have shown how that it, it was split between the army which were the young men from 20 years old and upward that were fit for battle and all of the rest of the people of Israel basically with some exceptions and that there were two routes that they went that were not the same. Some people say, well you mentioned there was maybe two million people. How do you ever come up with figures like that? Well it's really quite simple mathematically. When you take the number that is over 600,000 people, that is the number of the army and you, you take that every one of those persons then is like a son or a father And then you add to that each of them having a wife or a sister. Then right away you double that figure. Then if you take it another step and add a child and you do that on the average, the next thing you know, you have three times. 600,000. And if you add just a few other things, like a grandmother or all kinds of other simple things, you right away immediately are over 2 million people. It's simple. It's just there. And so there was a lot of people that were the totality of what Israel was and we have names that some people feel are the description of those persons like congregation but congregation is such an extremely vital and important name to understand it is so deep that when the angels hear that, who are not clothed with the Holy Spirit, they tremble. So let's, for instance, look at this word of congregation. And just like this thing where Jerusalem ends up being described as being where the crucifixion was called Sodom and 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 in Egypt. Here we have another anomaly. Here we have the story in the 14th chapter of Isaiah and it's describing Lucifer. We start with the 12th verse. How art thou fallen from heaven, O oh Lucifer! How? Well, in the past, we've shown you scripture that the fall was not like a tumbling down, but was an actual dissension in which he controlled with his own capability. So it says, "Oh, I just don't, I just don't imagine that." No, that's that's why you're here listening. Why you need to be here listening? Because you don't really know what the Bible does say, and that's why I'm here to tell you what it says so that you can have the scriptures to back it and have some confidence when you're getting into these kind of things. By the same token, in the book of of Revelation, we find that, that Lucifer was handed the key to the bottomless pit by an angel. So don't get off on some hotshot idea from some uh, broken record that you've heard out there of doctrines, of people that are preaching things that they don't know because, you know, they themselves are in baby truths. And they don't even know what meat tastes like because they've been slobbering around on milk so long. But Paul says, hey, it's time to get out of that mode. It's time to go on to perfection, setting aside and leaving the principles of the foundations of the doctrines of Jesus Christ, the laying on hands, the resurrection, the baptisms. Let's go on to perfection. That's the word of God. Now, here's what it says. How are you fallen? We, that needs to be known. It needs to be knowing how that Jesus came down and how that Lucifer came down and why they came down the way they came down. Now, Lucifer, even when he knew he was coming to earth, had a plan. And how that plan went is very, very important. O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? How is it possible that an, an archangel could be cut down? How is it possible that an angel that had been in existence for universes upon universes of time Eternities about eternities that had been in the first domain with the, the ultimate place of God. How, how could that ever happen that such an angel would fall? Well, it depends what you mean by fall. It's, it's like trying to understand the difference between down and up. It's very difficult to understand that. Some would say, oh, no, it's not. I know it's down or up. No, you don't. Because it's totally relevant to angular momentum and position. So you might be on top of a piece of, of, of dirt that you're standing on. but below the sky. So what is up and what is down is relevant because then something else may be above the sky so that the higher up is of a nature that makes you down. So when you think that you are up, you may be down. And when you think that you're down, you may be more up than you think you are. And so, what does, what does Lucifer really say about this how are you, are you fallen? How? How could you be cut down? He said, here's the program. Verse 13, I will ascend into heaven. That's how. These two things are really have relationship. I will exalt my throne above all of the other angels, the other stars. That's how this is all coming about. It's all part of a projection. It's all part of a travel of my plan. Sure, there may be some people that think I'm down, but actually I'm up. Sure, there may be some people that think I have failed, but actually I, I have succeeded. I know that program as well as Paul did a whole lot better. Calling those things that are not, as so they are. And I know about faith unto faith and glory unto glory. I know all of that stuff. I taught it for eternities. Here's the rest of my plan. I will be like the Most High. This is all what the Bible is saying, folks. I'm just reading from the Bible. These are the thoughts and the plans of Lucifer. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High, and then there's one other thing really important, which is about this message, follows this message, and here it is, I will sit also, additionally, very important, it's a conjunction here, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the the north. Now when you take this and you look at the, 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 the longitude and the latitude, and you measure it on the basis of the sides of the north, it's absolutely amazing what you get. You get 33.33 on the parallel, you get 33.33 on the longitude. That, when you put it on the, the, sphere, the spherical aspect of the earth, only leads you to one place. No other place on the entire whole earth can that lead you to, but to Mount Hermon. It leads you right to Mount Hermon, because that is the absolute direction of that mountain. And when he says, when Lucifer says, I will sit upon the mount, M-O-U-N-T, of the congregation in the sides of the north, he is describing it just like in the Bible, there was description of the mountain. When we look at the scriptures in the Bible, we find in Matthew 4, 8, that Lucifer, Satan, took Jesus up on the highest mountain and remember they were in the Jerusalem area and the highest mountain in all of Israel is Hermon which is 2,814 meters high. Now we aren't going to be making any mistakes about what the high mountain is and it's so ridiculous. Some of the people that do not give, pay, pay the right homage to this Mount Hermon is because they totally don't understand the message. They've missed it. They have missed the incredible revelation of the Mount of Congregation and what that means. And it was there, down that mountain, that Luc- Lucifer Satan took Jesus to show him the entire whole world. Why there? <laughs> because it was the only place that could have been done. Now when the transfiguration took place and you read about it in the scripture like Matthew 17.1 what does it say? It says that they went up to a high mountain. Ladies and gentlemen, in all Israel there's only one high mountain, and that is Hermon. Now the second highest mountain is called Mount Meron. Now let's repeat. Mount Hermon is 2,814 meters tall. Mount Meron is 1,208 meters tall, which means it's far less than half the height of Mount Hermon, and it's a very, in many ways, insignificant mountain. And I've read where all kinds of other preachers and supposed scholars are making some of these other mountains that are just basically hills, they're they're not much more than flat land and they're making it the, (laughs) the, the place of transfiguration, totally goes against what the scripture says. It was the high mountain. There's only one really high mountain. It's the only mountain that that in Israel they can ski on because none of the other mountains are right for that. It's so important when we begin to realize exactly what was happening. Well, in the book of Enoch, and there's a couple books of Enoch, you know, there's the Ethiopian, and and there, there's different versions. It claims that the angels fell down on the Mount of Mount Hermon. Now, these were what people have not also understood, that there was two different kinds of the fall of the angels. There was the angels that were the co-owned angels with Lucifer, who the Bible says in the 12th chapter of Revelations, they they fell to the earth with Lucifer. And then we find out that, you know, that there is backing for the fact of the, that fall, as described in the Book of Enoch. Now, I don't recommend the Book of Enoch because it it, it, it desperately needs translation, because there's been a lot of 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 error that has been messed with in some translations, some day if God help me that 's what i 'd like to do is translate that book. but there is what is called b a a l baal, baal Herman or herman. there is a part of Herman of the Mount Hermon that is a designated landing site and has traditional ownership for Lucifer. And there are three peaks there. And those three peaks are very important to understand what they represent. Because one part of them is for the Mount of Transfiguration. So you have the two forces represented there on those those peaks. So when Lucifer brought Jesus Christ up there to show him the world, there's all of this presence, there's all of this advanced angelic force there. And in that high mode of which the angels keep their minds, in which they are able to go back uh, and, and have more information than even the energy dots, The whole world and any part of the whole world can be seen. And so when Jesus was brought up to that mountain, that's why. Because it could all be seen through the angelic view. And that's what happened. It wasn't talking about a mountain so high that you could see all the the whole earth. Because if you know any geography at all, you know that the, the earth is curved. And so there's only a certain distance out horizontally, laterally, that you can see because of the curve. So you can't see the whole whole world from standing on the mountain unless it's something quite different, something along the line like when Jerusalem becomes Sodom and Egypt where the crucifixion took place. Some kind of relative plane that happens and incorporates all of the different potentiations of location that is not bound by the gravity or the geography of any particular description because its ultra-dimensionality penetrates, just like neutrinos penetrate right through the whole Earth And instantly know one part of the earth to any other part of the earth. Now, Isaac Newton was a great man. He was a a religious man. He believed in Christ. And he said that when any part of a mass moves, then the whole universe knows about it. When Einstein came in, and said, that's not correct, because they have not taken in the mathematics of space-time. And then through relativity, he reveals space-time. And so that there is a certain amount of time, the speed of light, that has to be allotted before you can know the full uh, revolution of a geological move and that that was not being taken into consideration by Isaac Newton but i don't believe that that's correct at all because i believe that Isaac Newton had this revelation about fluxions and i don't think that they've ever understood even to this day mathematically all the meanings that Newton had about fluxions and how that he believed that there were these fluxions were were like uh, virtual uh, particles that could instantly came come in or go out, and and he called them veritables. So this f- uh, flexion concept uh, ended up uh, developing a mathematics to be able to f- to to figure veritables so that these variables could be taken into effect of something that was not always. Able to be seen or to be, or to even know it was there because it had a sort of intermittency because it would suddenly appear and then it would suddenly disappear. So they came up with a name to explain that, those theories of fluctua- fluctuons by calculus as the math. And they considered that fluctuation and calculus was the same thing, but that's not correct. It's not. There's a connection. But it's not the same thing. And I'm going to be presenting that eventually one day in white papers to the world. And so it's so important to come into these realizations because now we've got Lucifer saying, I will sit upon the Mount of the Congregation. What does he mean? What is he talking about? What is he calling the Mount of the Congregation? Well, he's talking about his believers that are on Val Hermon. But he's also talking about all of the believers that are on the other side of Mount of Transfiguration that belong to Yahweh, Yahweh, Jesus Christ. So now, what happens? He is saying, I want to be above all the stars. And I'm going to sit on the mount of congregation. And I'm going to be the ruler over all the stars and have that same kind of capability like God does. That's his plan. That's his decision. That's his mental angle that happened when he left being a cherubim and went in and took an office with the with the Ophanim and then something happened to him because the bible says when he was the morning when he was lucifer as a cherubim he was absolutely perfect I mean perfect, but then something happened when he left the order, because all the different kinds of angels, the cherubims, the seraphims, the ophanim, have different orders, and when he went over to, to be a covering angel for the, the ophanims, something skewed in his mind. He didn't turn against God. Not in his way of thinking, not in many of the angels' way of thinking. He wanted to be more like God. He wanted to head the whole angelic order. And he wanted to sit on the mount of congregation. Now we're beginning to understand that this thing about congregation is big. This thing about congregation is really, really big. It is no minor issue. And it's very important. And here's what Jesus said. When Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was coming into the city and the people were praising him, and there was some question, as, you know, what's going on? Do we? It's just all this noise and racket, is this right? And Jesus said, hey, if these people would stop praising and giving glory to God, then he said the very stones would cry out. Well, Moses with the congregation called the army reached a point that they failed to stay connected to the prophecy, the prophecy which said, "I'm sending an angel before you. This angel is going to to fight the war for you. Is it going to supply your needs. It's going to lead you and guide you." But they reached a point that they didn't want to wait for how. God's timing was and they they wanted water they wanted it right now. Jesus said if these people cease giving the credit to God the very stones will cry out. And then instead of them being fed with water and a food like had been done before with some of the prophets where they would have this Water and food, and they would go in the strength of that, of that for 40 days. And this angel could have made it so they could go in, in it until they got all the way through the wilderness. They got off track. And the stones cried out, the big rock cried out water. And the people drank the water out of that rock instead of the miracle water that would have given them literal water and spiritual water at the same time janet lee at the organ i'll be back can only applaud. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Janet Lee. And here we go, folks. We're back on the trail. Now, I'm sure you've heard of the Jordan River and how that the whole concept was that the army at one point, coming down from the land of Midian after having come across the Red Sea, that eventually they were to cross the Jordan. We have instances in the Bible where men of God would cause those waters to part and they walk across them. Jordan was important. But let me give you some, some thought. Take away the Mount Hermon. There is no Jordan. Take away Mount Hermon and there is no Jordan. There's no Jordan River to cross into the land of milk and honey. There is no Jordan running down from the land of Eden all the way into the Dead Sea. And all the meanings of all of those things it illustrates. Why? Because there is a little village-like place called Casaria Philippi, and there is a large spring right there at the base of Mount Hermon, and all of the waters that feed the Jordan River come out of the out of Mount Hermon right there and create the Jordan River that flows down to the Salt Sea. And this is why it's so ridiculous when they, Jesus and his disciples had been fishing and then they, they leave Galilee. And they end up in the scripture showing that they are they are at at this place called Caesarea Philippi which is at the base of Mount Hermon then you've got people then trying to have them go back the opposite direction over to these little low hills supposedly to the Mount of Transfiguration it's absolutely colossally ignorant of reality they were there, it's scripture They were there at the Mount of Transfiguration with all its relevance, with all its importance, and where the forces were gathered, both the forces that were evil and the forces that were good. And understand, the Bible tells us in the scriptures, and I may not be able to get to all these scriptures today, but I will eventually get all these scriptures in these teachings so that You do not miss out on it. But in Ezekiel 28, 13, it talks about that Lucifer had been in the garden of God. And it talks about Lucifer describing him in the similitude of being a pharaoh. And then in Ezekiel 31, 16 through 17, it talks about how that the trees of Eden which were trees of, 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 e, of, of Lebanon. That these trees of, of Lebanon were trees of Eden that were going to end up in hell. Now read those scriptures, Ezekiel 31, 9, and Ezekiel 31, 16 through 17, and you'll find out where Eden was. And it's in this this valley that goes in between the anti-Lebanon mountains on the one side and then these other mountains like Hermon and the Golan Heights. Now understand, on the one side of the Golan Heights was where the, the giants lived. And king of of Og, over nine feet tall. And Etrii, the underground caves where other giants had their abode. And the whole thing, the whole story is there. And Jesus wasn't about to give up that mountain. Which was part of the plan, which told the story of the of Eden, which told the story of the the fall of the angels. And there's two groups that fell. The Bible says that Lucifer, and that and his angels fell to earth. Then it also says that the tail of the dragon drew one third of the stars, and did cast them to earth. So you have the two different falls, the two different descendings. And they're they're both represented on that Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon is right there where the at, at its base, where where the where where the Garden of Eden existed, which represented all of the different people, the soul people and the non-soul people. The whole story is there. People have been looking every place else to find these things, but it's just right there in the Bible. It tells the story. It's so important. Now this thing of the congregation, you know. Let's, let's just uh, let's look at, start with Numbers chapter 1. Let's just go to Numbers chapter 1. And let me read something to you. This is so very important. And what does this have to do with? Well, it has to do with a thing where the word according, and that is used different places where, where it says, like for instance in Numbers 15, 12, according to the number that you shall prepare, so shall you do everyone according to that number, as refers to the drink offerings, uh, the various worship things that they did, and the dividing of the tribes, the references to the tribes, and, and, and so forth, many, many things were done according to the number. And we, we know, according, according to the scriptures, that, that even the stars have, have numbers. So, what do we have here? Very, very, very important. Very important. We have something that affects everything that happens. And the word is according. Something that is... A thing that is to happen is to happen according to a certain method, to a certain way, to a certain example, and that interprets what the reality of that certain way has relevance. So it is so important uh, to understand this. Now, here's the point that I want to make. Now, get a hold of it. Chapter 1 in Numbers. And the Lord spake or spoke unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of the congregation. Now the tabernacle has a congregation. <laughs> On the first day of the second month, in the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, second month, take you the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel, after their families, by the house of their fathers, with the number of their names ever mailed by their poles from 20 years old and upwards that are able to go forth to war in Israel. Thou and Aaron shall number them by their armies, and with you there shall be a man of every tribe, every one head of the house of his fathers, and these are the names of the men that shall stand with you of the tribe of Reuben of Elizor, the son of Sherizor, of Simon, of Shilumiel. And it goes on making this long list, which I will not read all of it. But we begin to see that these 20-year-old and upward persons that are the, later described as the army, that they are representing all of these families. They are representing the house of their fathers. And and if we don't get this idea of the proxy, if we don't really, really get this idea, we just totally miss out on major things. Now, this thing of the proxy is so important. For instance, in um, the book Ezekiel, I think it's the, the fourth chapter, It gives a whole description, which I'll not take the time to read. But it's a message to Ezekiel. And he says, now go out and make this mount. And get you this big pan and all of this various kind of separation equipment And um, bring that to me, and I will show you what to do with it. Bring that to me. And I want to, I want to show you how that you're going to use this as a proxy to come against Jerusalem because of the sins that they have committed. Now you need to read that. You need to read it. Because this thing of proxy is major. It's like a whole chapter that is given to this proxy. Then when you go into the 7th chapter of the book of Revelations, you've got all these tribes being mentioned. And of every tribe, you know, there. are ends up being a certain, uh, like, 12,000 people. And when you multiply that, 12 times 12, which is the number of the tribes, it gives you the number 144,000. Then when you go on reading about the measurement of the wall of Jerusalem, the measurement ends up being in that 144,000 number. So that the people then are representing this wall of Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem is representing these people numerically speaking, by proxy. Now we have this army of six hundred thousand plus men described in in Numbers chapter one verse forty-six. Even all they that were numbered were 600,000, and 550. So when we read in Numbers 1, verse 44, these are those that were numbered with Moses and Aaron and the princes of Israel, being 12 men, each one was for the house of his father. So were those that were numbered of the children of Israel by the house of their father from 20 years and, o- and upward, all that were able to go forth the forth war, even all they were numbered were 600,000, 3,550. and As w- If we read this carefully, we begin to see that these soldiers are representing in proxy, representing in proxy the congregation and we read in chapter 2 verse 2 every man of the children of israel shall pitch by his own standard with the ensign of their father's house far off about the tabernacle of the congregation they shall pitch and on the east side toward the rising of the sun they sh- shall they, uh, of the standard of the camp of Judah pitched throughout their armies, and then they name all the different tribes, so that there is a standard for every tribe, and there's a man that, that holds that standard that is representing all of those people in proxy, the congregation as represented. And the in the tenth verse of the second chapter it says. On the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben, according to their armies. And the captain of the children of Reuben shall be Elizor, the son of Shedior. It's just there, ladies and gentlemen. It's just there in the Bible. The Bible. And I want you to not miss that. Are not fail to understand that, because when you start getting into the, um, into the thing of the congregation, and you start to um, begin to see that this congregation is represented by the army. And so when it says all the congregation went into the wilderness... It's talking about all the army because they're representing all of the father's house, and there are dozens and dozens of scriptures that that represent that. Now let's go to um, Exodus twelve, and and see how how it words it, because it it, it further explains this thing in, in a quite a beautiful beautiful way and let me just let me just read that to you because uh, when you when you when you see it the way the Bible describes it it's it's beautiful and we just we, we just need to know that you do see it that way so let's look at uh, Exodus 12. Three, speaking to the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers. So that we can see that the whole congregation was represented by, what the, by the actions of one man. And there's a lot of scripture for it, and a lot of, I I can't, I don't have the time to go through all the scripture representing all of this. But, just like Lucifer saying, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be over the congregation of Mount Hermon that is represented metaphorically, symbolically, I'm going to be over the, the mount of congregation for both my angels and both the angels of the Ophanim that fell. I'm going to be over that. And so the real war is as it describes it in the book of Ephesians our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities anywhere, in high places, (laughs) a direct referral to the high mountain of Hermon, where these forces are represented on the very mountain through which base is a huge spring of continuous flow of waters that create the Jordan River, of which God tells Moses you must cross the Jordan River to get into the promised land and that Jordan River is connected to Mount Hermon where the transfiguration took place and that is also where the forces of Lucifer, Satan's rep- represented. And where he took Jesus to show him all of the nations of the world and says, if you'll, if you'll just submit to me, you can have all of this. That's where the real war, that's the real congregation, the representation of what those people represent. Every angel of the Ophanim represents the whole Ophanim order. Every angel of the cherubim represents the whole cherubimic order. Every angel of the seraphim represents the whole seraphimic order. And when you refer to that one angel, you are referring to the whole number of them because they are one unit, one congregation, one people, one entity. And that's the revelation that is so important to understand. Now we've talked about things like how that there was a mixed multitude that went out. We read the scripture to you. And how that there was a camouflage that they took this, of this mixed multitude that went out with the army. They took some of the sea people and the high coast people. And no doubt there was a few Nubians in there and then they went on up a certain direction or went about or over or down or however you want to put it a certain direction for the army to get to the red sea to cross it but the other people that were acting as though they were the children of israel they basically they basically got on ships and 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 took their cattle and so forth now people say Well, I don't think if you go back in those days that there were any ships that were capable of hauling cattle. Yes, there were. But let me ask you this. The ark was way, way, way before any of that. The ark that Noah built. And there was all of these animals, some of them huge, that were carried on that ark. Now, they recently found a cuneiform uh, uh, piece of... uh, of information that they th- read it and interpret it that the ark part of it at least was made out of reeds and various kinds of of uh, plant material and then creosoted with pitch. When you really begin to, to to read about these reed boats, there were some that were called islands. They were just flat And and they could be towed, and they were were just, they looked like a small island being towed. There were some that were, there were rafts with fences like around them where they could haul animals. And then there were different sized ships. And there's a really big connection with Ethiopia, a big connection. And the Bible has a prophecy that one day that some things are going to be revealed about Ethiopia that are very, very important. Now, we know there's the connection of Moses, who married the Ethiopian wife. We know there's the connection of David and the Queen of Sheba. And we know that there are strange things that have, been ha- that have happened. Like for instance, these Ethiopians, many of them believe that they are part of the, of the tribe of, uh, part of the, tri- the tribes of, of, of Israel. They are, they are totally in belief of that. And it is so very important for that to be understood. So, so we have um, um, this important thing um, between, and I said David and the Queen of Sheba, I actually mean Solomon and, the, and the, uh, uh, David's uh, son uh, and the Queen of Sheba. And uh, it's so important to see how that that these Nubians, these Ethiopians were connected. And how that they even, even believed that They have uh, the Ark of the Covenant and how that they believe things that are part of the Moses laws, like um, circumcision on the eighth day and several of the laws, and they've been practicing them for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. And who are these? people. Well, there's a story there, isn't there? And when I um, shared with you last week how that, that Moses, when he was in the army of Pharaoh, he went over and he fought with these Nubians. And in the fighting of that battle, he ended up Meeting the sister of the queen of one of the major cities of and and of the people of of the the Egypt of the uh, Ethiopians, the Nubians, sometimes also called Cush, sometimes other various names, and how important it is to know all of that, and how that. You can actually look it up and see how that the Egyptians were very active with river craft. And they moved agriculture, produce, uh, troops, cattle, stones, funeral processions, and carried them on the Nile and its canals. And it is said that these boats were made of bundles of bound papyrus reeds so there is a history and that history is you know it's 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 backed uh by bible and and you have to know these names to to know how that they apply uh to be able to to apply them in in a way that that uh, you can really give it the proper credit but like when it talks about Ramesses and I was shared that with you here how that uh there are connections with with Ramesses uh to to RE and RA representing the sun god. So when we talk about the city of or the land of Ramesses, we're talking about an area er, uh, an area of a people that live that believe in the sun god, which was different than Believing in plural gods, and so that has a very important connection and a very important uh, uh, interest, and, and 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 it's these are the kind of things that you have got to learn, so that you will not be left out in the dark as as to the representation of of uh, of all these things. Um, in the Book of Esther, uh, it tells about how the the that king that. She ended up marrying that uh, uh, he controlled uh, all of the uh, the providen- province uh, from India uh, all of the way uh, to to, uh, uh, to to Egypt. Uh, these these trade routes have been going on for a long, long time, and they have moved animals and so all these things that that you know I was saying. Uh, just plain has some incredible truth. Now, I was sharing how that... I've, I've read some uh, you know, some of the history of the Jewish historian Josephus uh, Josephus, but uh, it's been a long time <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and I certainly don't remember anything uh, uh, that uh, uh, was along the line of anything that I said here last week Uh, But then when I was looking over some of uh, his writings this last uh, week, I discovered it just absolutely incredible. And I'm going to quote here. Um, He writes, prior to Moses leaving Egypt, the Jewish historian Josephus points out that he had been a great general who led Pharaoh's army to victory over the kingdom of Ethiopia, which had conquered most of Egypt. While attacking the Ethiopian uh, capital city, Tharbus, the daughter of the king of Ethiopia, became enamored of Moses, seeing his violent exploits and bargained to deliver the city into his hands if he would but marry her. Moses agreed and she fulfilled her promise. And Moses married her and fulfilled the obligation uh, of a husband to her, causing her to become pregnant. And that <laughs> just was amazing, absolutely amazing when I read that. And I thought, well, that's, I'd already, I knew that by the Spirit. I, I knew that, you know, like, there's like these lost tribes. And people say they, they don't know where they're at. And there's like how that, and I think it's 1950, that 10,000 of these Nubians or Ethiopians were, were brought into Israel. Now, not all the Orthodox really wanted to embrace them, but the but the, but the chief people, the the the, the chief people uh, that that uh, were the you know scribes and the scholars of uh, of of Israel, uh, they had a, a, a really good idea about uh, these black Jews, uh, or about these Ethiopians being black Jew- Jews, and uh, probably a part uh, of the lost tribe of Dan and uh, or definitely connected with with some of the offspring of of Moses uh, and offspring of Solomon uh, and how important that is and 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 they were aware of the prophecy in Psalms that said that the day would come that 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 Ethiopian uh, would show us is his, his arm and hand and 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 they knew that there was something there. Well, they did a a test on a bunch of these uh, black uh, Ethiopians, and when they tested them, they did the DNA. They found out that genetically, they had the passed the same test that the the Jewish priest did, um, which. No one who is not of that clan ever, it's just so rare that anyone outside of it could ever possibly pass that genetics. Uh, they just don't. But they pass that genetics. So now you've, you've got some incredible things there, these, these, these uh, beautiful black Jews that were a lost tribe but kept hold of many of these things that they believed and are connected through the Jewish family and, and, and it's, it's, it has to be put in there. It has to become part of the beautiful plan of God because there was a time that the Nubians, the Ethiopians came down and conquered a big part of, of Egypt and actually ruled a part of Egypt and especially upper Egypt and, and, and became uh, pharaohs in past history of time. So when the Bible says as I've shared with you that there was a mingling of the people when I tell about how that this one group went off they had it all planned out because the sea people on the high coast they were in, involved with negotiating and doing trade business uh with the with the uh uh, Nubians and they used their flag and, and and they put their cattle and their people on those ships and and they pulled some rafts and they got on up uh, in into uh, Nubia, traded their cattle for 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 gold and went on up to India, and and <laughs> there's names of of cities that if you break down the for them forensically um, and get that forensic. Uh, truth about it, which is an Akavah type of revelation, you begin to see that all these things anciently existed in the Bible and that there are truths that, that are condensed within even a single name that tells a whole story about a people and a time and, and, and the lives of those people and the belonging of those people. Now, the congregation. Itsn't just the people that are on Earth at one time, but Ezekiel was told to go out into the valley. And he said, "What do you see out there, Ezekiel?" He says, "Well, he says, "It's a huge valley just full of bones." He says, "Well, I want you to breathe life into those bones, because these are all people that belong." to Israel. These are all people that belong to the congregation. They are people that once lived, that once had lives, but they still belong. They're still a part of the congregation. So when we're talking about the congregation, we're not just talking about the people that happened to be alive at that time. We're talking about the whole group of all these people. Those which were, those which are, and those which are to come. And Paul describes that in his teachings. He said, we couldn't allow, or God didn't allow, all of the things that could be revealed to be revealed back in the ancient times. Because it had to wait on us. So that there would be none of us left out from knowing these things. And you can understand that that surges and goes forward. So that one thing leads to another thing. And it's so important. It's so very, very, very relevant. And we begin to see that the story of these ships are true. Someone says, there was never a ship that could do that. They have found some ancient, ancient cuneiforms that tell the story about these ships. They found one pharaoh who, in his burial, had a large, really good-sized ship as part of his burial. These things have been going on, and people looking back have not understood that. There's a history there that has been missed. And the congregation, on the sides of the north, that Lucifer says, I'm going to take charge of that. It's about the war of the principalities described in Ephesians. And when we're doing this teaching about the escape and the plan of the Passover, God is telling us, do away with the revelation of Mount Hermon and you do away with the revelation of of the River Jordan. Do away with the revelation of the River Jordan and you do away with the line of demarcation that separates the Giants and the Promised Land. Do away with the relevance of the Promised Land and the Giants and you miss out on the war that is going on between The forces dark and the forces of light, it's all connected in the most revelatory way that could ever be imagined. And it's beautiful. And its summations are towers of light. And God is moving by His Spirit, moving in all the land. God is moving by His Spirit moving in all the earth. So when God says, I have formed Jacob again. I have formed him again. Jacob is connected to Joseph. Joseph is connected to the children of Israel. And the plan that eventually ends up with a fulfilled prophecy of an escape from exodus you can't get away from the connections they're revolutionary and they're extraordinary understanding they are pop-ups that will not be buried for God is moving by His Spirit moving in all the earth. Will sights and wonders, when God moveth, move, O Lord. may this word move in your heart, your mind, your spirit, your soul. And give you life and energy and growth. And change you from the creature. God bless you and scan is it. playing the organ. Amen.